Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Good to be back with you. Um, I'm sure you all remember my sermon back in August, right? You might. Um, It was on Job 28, and now we're back in Job. So I I may have told you at the time that Job is a favorite book of mine. I was working on it over the summer because I'm currently teaching a grad-level class in the book of Job. Um, Now, be warned, Job is not an easy book. It is not a simple book, but with the time that we spend in it, um, beginning last week with Don's sermon, uh, I really do hope that this church, that you guys are blessed and challenged um, from this study. So let me just open us with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would be impressing your word on our hearts. Pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to understand, that we might know you better and serve you better in this life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can, be, you can turn in your Bible with me to Job chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up right where Don left off last week in verse 8. Um, I'll say this. We are, just to take a step back, we are in chapter 1. There are 42 chapters We'll see when we get through them all. We're scheduled to get through 27 of them in the, in the spring here. The first two chapters and the last chapter of the book of Job form what is known as the frame narrative around the book. These are probably the most familiar parts to many of us. If we've heard the story of Job, we've heard about his suffering and what he went through there. We may have heard about the end of the book, his restoration, where he is given so much from God at that time. But realize there are 39 chapters in between, 39 chapters of speeches, of poetic speeches from his friends, from him, ultimately from God himself. I would suggest that understanding this frame narrative correctly, these first two chapters and the last chapter, is the key to understanding the book and really benefiting from it. Again, I will warn you, I've been teaching Job at, um, at Cairn for 10 years now. I teach it every semester in a wisdom literature class. It is, a, it is still a book that I have many questions that are unanswered. It is complicated, and for me, that's why it's fun, Um, because each time I come back to the book of Job, I know that I'm going to learn a little bit more. I'm going to be challenged in my faith, in my walk, in my understanding of God, and I hope that's what you can see today as we begin reading again in Job chapter 1. I'll pick it up in verse 8. The Lord said to Satan... Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. 
but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The accusation that is brought to God by the accuser, and if I call him the accuser as I'm talking about that, you can check your footnote. That's what it literally is. It's not a proper name, Satan. It is the Satan. I'm not questioning that whether it's, not, whether it's the, the character that we know as Satan, but if I talk about him as the accuser, it kind of emphasizes that is his title here because that is the role that he is playing. He is the accuser. So the first question I raise is, who is being accused? We might automatically assume Job is being accused of something. But if we read it carefully and we look at it, the accusation that Satan makes is against God himself. You have put a hedge around your people. You have done this. The accusation is God has so blessed Job, the individual, has given him so much that, of course, Job is going to praise God. The accusation is that God is buying his praise. I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with this practice, but there are presently rent-a-crowd companies. So if you're doing your store opening or you're having your political rally or you're a celebrity who wants to create buzz or you have a protest, you can go to these companies and rent a crowd. And there will literally be paid actors that come out and cheer or rant or whatever you want them to do. That's what Satan is accusing God of doing, of paying for Job's praise. This is the accusation that's made here. In a term that we might have heard or might make sense to us is Job is accusing God of having merely a transactional relationship with his creation, with humanity. A transactional relationship defined as one that both individuals are merely concerned with how they benefit. They're self-serving, making sure that they get as much as they can from the relationship. A transactional relationship looks like this. Um, I try to do as much home repair by myself as I can because it's very expensive to pay someone else to do it. But one area that I have found I am not going to trust myself in is the area of plumbing. So if I, you know, if I have some leaky faucet or, you know, leaky pipes or something happens, we had a a heating incident a few years back with a pipe exploding, I'm going to call the plumbing company. And I call the same company, and, but each time they send out a different plumber or their different tech, and he does the job, and I pay him. My relationship with that plumbing company is purely transactional. I pay the bill, they get the benefit of the pay, I get the benefit of the work that they're doing. The relationship is no deeper than that. It's not meaningful it's transactional. So again, that is what the accuser is saying about God and his relationship with his people. Now, if I told you that my relationship with my children is merely transactional, you might have a problem with that. I would have a problem with that because 
if my transaction, sorry, my relationship with my children is transactional, my wife and I have spent a lot on them. They're teenagers. As they grow up, each year they want, they, they say, we've grown out of these clothes, we want new clothes and new shoes, and every day they want to be fed and I have to buy food. We've spent a lot of money on our children, and to this point, we have not gained anything materially back from them. We may be playing the long game. We may think someday in our old age, they're going to support us. You can say, good luck. Yeah, I already heard that, right? So that would be a real problem if my relationship with my children was merely at the transactional level, right? Uh, the relationship with my children or my wife or close friends or anything like that should be more meaningful based on love, commitment, shared goals, shared experience, shared priorities. There is something more meaningful that we know about in our human relationships. The question is, is that part of Job's, and we'll ask the question for ourselves then, is that part of Job's relationship with God? Is he merely praising God because he gets the benefits and gets the blessings, or is he praising God because there is some deeper level of connection, that there is some deeper meaning in his relationship with God? That's what's going to be, placed, uh, going to be put to the test, and God is allowing that to put to the test. All right, now, I'm going to give you some questions that I'm not going to answer, all right? If you think about this long enough, you'll say, why would God allow that to be put to the test? Why did it need to be put to the test? Why did he let this happen in this way? We have lots of why this, why Job, that aren't going to be answered. We're not told that. So I have to, when reading this, take it that I'm not going to be given all the answers. I actually think that's a very prominent theme of the entire book, showing us at times how little we know and understand, but I'm sure we'll get to that at a later time. Why? Why does God bless us? Why do we praise Him? We'll come back and I'll talk about that in terms of us. I want to keep going, reading a little bit more through this passage. So what happens? In verse 13, now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. There came a messenger, messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I, have alone, I alone have escaped to tell you. See in what rapid succession... Job is visited by these servants, the sole surviving servant of each of these calamities. And see how quickly um, Job's life, every single thing that he has, is taken from him. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So in these four successive reports, Job loses everything. And you may note that the what he is losing, what is being destroyed or stolen or taken from him, um, kind of works in reverse order for how his riches are listed at the beginning of the chapter. So if you look back up in chap chapter 1, verse 2, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Even that 3,000 camels... Um, when I teach this, I ask people, have you ever seen a camel? And I can remember being here with the camel at Christmas Live, and camels are really big. To have 3,000 of them just gets a glimpse of how, how wealthy this man was. And it kind of works backwards through this, losing everything, culminating in the loss of his 10 children. In one sense, there's not a lot to say about this. But in another sense, we shouldn't just pass by this too quickly. And one thing that I will say, if we ever want to sit in judgment of Job and some of the things he says beginning, for instance, in chapter 3 when he curses the day of his birth, we'll have to get there, or we very quickly judge his wife in the next chapter, I would just remind us, think for a moment, pause and think for just what just how much they have lost, what they have gone through. And be careful of too quickly saying, well, he shouldn't react that way, chapter 3 and following. She shouldn't have said that to him. Just be careful. Um, losing everything, the wealthiest, greatest man in the East, everything has been taken from him. All right, so this raises a question that I will address. Um, who is responsible for Job's suffering? One answer is Satan, right? Satan is to blame. Suffering comes from Satan. I would point us to this passage that again and again, the responsibility is placed on God as the one who is ultimately responsible for his suffering. Back in verse 8, do we remember who raised Job's name to be discussed? It is God himself who says, have you considered my servant Job? Raising him up as his greatest example of a human. Whenever we read about even some of the um, calamities, notice that the servant in verse 16 says, the fire of God fell from heaven. Whatever exactly that looked like, a natural disaster we still call them acts of God, recognizing that he is the one sovereign over nature. Whenever Job responds, and I'll read through this in a moment, notice what he says down in verse 21. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. If you want to hear it from God himself, I'll jump into chapter 2 really quickly. When again the accuser comes before him, the Lord says in verse 3 of chapter 2, just real quick, the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Exactly what he said the first time, but then God adds, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So my, my suggestion is, my claim, is that this passage attributes res- the ultimate responsibility. I'm not going to get into theologians' discussions of first, uh, primary, secondary causes. I'm talking about ultimate responsibility for this suffering is laid at the feet of God. Is that challenging to us and to our understanding of God? See, sometimes we may, in our minds, it may not be fully complete, a fully completed thought, but sometimes in our minds, when we're thinking about God and Satan and the good and the bad, we have this picture that here's, here's Satan and here's God, right? Satan, over here, the bad stuff comes from Satan. So if something bad happens, I blame Satan, right? And over here, we have God, and the good stuff comes from God. Do you recognize the problem with this picture of God and Satan? This makes them equals and opposites. This is a type of Christian dualism where there are essentially two gods, the God ruling over the good and the God ruling over the bad. See, what we have to do is we have to recognize that God is sovereign over all, including Satan, including the bad. That is challenging to us in one sense because it doesn't give us easy answers on the problem of, evil, and where does it come from, and why does it exist? Questions that I'm, so now I'm getting questions that I'm not going to try to answer today. But what happens when we have this dualistic thinking about God and Satan? We are really diminishing God, and we are not recognizing His true sovereignty over all. There is no hint in this passage that Satan is in charge that he can do whatever he wants. There is no one in the book who assumes, who, there is no one in the book who doubts God's sovereignty. They have other questions about God, but something that comes shining through from beginning to end is God is sovereign over all. Is that challenging to us? It doesn't give us an easy answer about the problem of evil and suffering and that. It's a more challenging thought, but we should be able to turn that around and say, No matter what is happening down here, all of it is under God's sovereignty, that he is ultimately responsible for all things, um, allowing them to happen, enabling them, causing them to happen, whatever words we want to use. God is the one. That may challenge us, but I think we can't help but conclude that from this passage in the rest of the Bible. When it comes to God's sovereignty, one thing that I think the books, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, for us, sometimes we want answers. We want explanations. We want to know the reason. And one teaching that comes out of this chapter and the rest of the book is Job isn't given the answers. I'll come back to it, but Job is never told what happened in chapter 1. He's never given this explanation in chapter 1. So think about that. Trusting in God, 
Recognizing his sovereignty, even when we don't get explanations, even though we aren't told the reasons that we may want. All right. Let me finish reading our passage and then talk a little bit more of some of the implications for us. So in Job one uh, twenty, all right, so after all of this calamity has happened, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So very, to, to emphasize the point I made before, when he said the Lord has taken away, he does not charge God with wrong. He is speaking correctly is what we have there. So he worships God. He attributes the losses to God. God has taken, the Lord has taken away and he does not sin in what he's saying. This is the Job that we know. If we have any picture of Job, if we have anything that we've learned about Job, it is this faithful Job that in spite of all the suffering he has endured, is able to make this proclamation of faith. And that is the great example that we have. James 5.11 talks about the patience or perseverance of Job, which serves as an example for each one of us easy question for me to ask, we have to answer ourselves or consider it ourselves. You know, what, how would we respond to this? If we put ourselves in Job's shoes and say, and just think for a minute how much he just actually lost, and he's immediately able to, to worship God, first of all. Recognize that the Lord was sovereign over the calamity that just happened, and not sin, but instead praise God and still recognize Him for who He is. So, our, our first answer that we get is, it seems like Job's relationship with God is deeper than that transactional level, right? He doesn't curse God. He doesn't sin. He doesn't accuse God of wrong. He disproves the accusation that Satan has made. Now we still have to have round two and chapter two, and then we have a, a long book where he is accused again and again of, of, of issues that he will have to respond to. But in this first chapter, in this first test, Job passes with flying colors. He is demonstrating and vindicating God that God's not. I mean, basically the accuser has said, God, you're delusional. This entire world that you created is a charade. You're just paying them to worship you. Like someone who does the rent a crowd thing, right? You're just paying those people to praise you and cheer for you. Job and his faithfulness demonstrates that there is something deeper. Challenges for us then is where I want us to, um, to go in order to, to take away some things. So very obviously the question I'm going to ask is, if we examine our relationship, you know, my personal relationship with God, us as Christians um, in general today, can we sometimes fall into that transactional pattern? When do I pray to God? Is it only when I need or want something? That would be an indicator of us thinking in transactional terms, right? Am I going to praise God even when the blessings 
aren't as abundant as I would hope. When we talk about sharing the gospel, why should someone become a Christian? One thing that I would just caution us against is turning it into a marketing strategy that says, like every commercial, right, buy our product and here are the benefits to you. There are benefits to being a Christian. There's no doubt. I'm, I'm not trying to deny that. But if we merely set it up in those transactional terms, or are you kind of, um, you know, comparison shopping for what religion you want? And this religion promised me, promises me this. This religion promises me that. I'll try out Christianity for a while. And you know what happens when some people becomes, become Christians? They have more problems and more troubles in your life. If, if our gospel is simply, come to Jesus and he'll take away all your problems. Obviously an oversimplification that I don't think any of us really say, but if we start thinking that way and we start marketing Jesus as just the solution to our problems, do you see how that diminishes the gospel? Why should someone be a Christian because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity is the truth. The God of the Bible is our creator. He sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Those things are true whether or not we believe them. Jesus is Lord of all whether or not we recognize it. We pursue the truth. We worship God because he is worthy of our worship. He blesses us. He sent His Son because He loves us. There is something deeper in our relationship with Him than simply, oh, He's going to help me in this situation and that. Does God give us strength in situations that we will face? Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But we need to make sure as Christians that we are looking at our relationship to, in deeper terms and loving God, trusting in Him for who He is, and whenever things go badly, are we tempted? In our terms today, not so much that we would curse God, but we would do something different. We would say, He doesn't exist. So the, the, the challenge here in Job is, is, is Job going to worship or is he going to curse God? In our days, it might be the terms of believing in or rejecting. And I would say, rejecting God and denying his existence is essentially equivalent to cursing him. I already talked about it a little bit, but recognizing God's sovereignty. So my last thought is, just to, again, frame this within our larger study of the book of Job, just something for you to think about. These first two chapters are unique in the Bible. It is incredibly rare that we humans get a glimpse into heaven to find out what's really going on in God's heavenly court. Recognize that we, the readers of the book of Job, are given some incredible knowledge. I would suggest that this is a unique event. I don't think we're given this knowledge so that we can then say, every time I suffer, now I know why. It's because Satan and God have had this exact same conversation. I don't think that's the intention of giving us this. Instead, this is a test case. We are given this information as the readers of the book of Job to know what really happened. But as I started to say before, realize that none of the characters in the book, Job himself, no one is given this explanation. So we, the readers of the book of Job, 
have a higher level of knowledge than the characters that we're going to hear from. And that's one of the things that will enable us to kind of evaluate what are they, these people saying? What is Job saying? Elihu, Bildad, Eliphaz, um, all throughout. What are they saying? Is it right? Is it wrong? And we're able to look at them and say, we know some things that they don't know. On the other hand, normally in life, we are in their shoes. We are like the characters speaking in the book of Job who don't really know all the answers or all the explanations. Do we recognize that many times we don't have explanations? And are we willing to trust in God and His sovereignty even when we don't get the answer to the question, why? And that is a demand sometimes that we put on, put on God. Why? Why? Are we willing to accept the answer because I said so from God? Or I'm not going to tell you. Or as we look at it, we just don't know. Are we willing to accept that as an answer? Trusting in God's true sovereignty over all things, even when we don't get those explanations. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time in your word this morning. I pray that you would be challenging us, challenging us in our relationship with you, that we would desire it to be one that is even more and more meaningful and deep, based on a deep devotion that we have for you and love for you, based on the love that we know you have for us. Father, I do pray that you would help us trust in you more and more each day, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of calamity, even in the midst of circumstances that we simply don't understand. Yet we know that we have a God who is sovereign over all, and we can trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.